The liturgy is in fact the first teacher of catechism. Being more is not just what we get to define, it's how God calls us to himself. He is the more. To do a little mystagogical catechesis. Mystagogical catechesis. Huh? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand. <laughs> is that a little too hot? Sorry. Be more. That makes sense. Be more. Yes. Hey, welcome to Mr. Cat. My name is Father Andrew Strobel. And my name is Curtis Ketty. And today we're doing something new. This is a Mr. Cat live. Yeah, unedited, unpolished, just straight up, unadulterated, Mr. Cat concentrate. So we'll see how this goes. We're so excited to be here. Um, Curtis and I have been working with Shaw, our wonderful producer, Shaw Leach. <laughs> who is not here with us. No. So who knows what could happen? Usually he's behind the scenes going like this or rubbing his temples saying, guys, yeah. get back on track. Now we're just unleashed. Yeah, he's taking notes of what he has to cut because that's not going to fly, some of the stuff we say. Yeah. So this is a lot of fun, Curtis. It's good to, yep. do, uh, <laughs> to be together this way. We'll see who's able to show up. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, well, let's see. What are we talking about? Well, that's that's the joy of Mysticat, right? We don't always. It's a know. mystery. It's a mystery. No, we are going through the general instruction of the Roman Missal, and even though that's like the Church's playbook for uh, the ordinary form of the Latin rite, the Roman rite, um, you know, and it's it's like any instruction book, sometimes a little dry, but I think it's really important. And well, yeah, it's dry. And especially now, because, of course, we're living in this whirlwind of uncertainty, of craziness in the time of the pandemic. And now that masses have publicly resumed, and I say that they have very loosely publicly resumed, you know, we look at mass and it's all—it's almost unrecognizable. It's like so many things have happened in order to make mass open to the public um, and different parishes are doing different things that we have this great opportunity to to um, re-encounter the essential mass. Like, what is the mass at its core? And the germ, the general instruction of the Roman Missal, really helps us, I think, helps me to understand what the mass is actually all about. Yeah. And uh, today we're jumping to chapter one. We've only been working in the introduction. You know, we didn't go through every single paragraph there. There's a beautiful history description of where we've been and where we're at now uh, when it comes to the prayer book for the Mass, the Roman Missal. But we wanted to jump into chapter one. Uh, specifically, I mean, it's a big challenge today. Four paragraphs. Hey, now, I'm just thinking, since this is live and people are watching live, they might want to have the text in front of them. Um, I, th oh. I believe you can you can get it for um, free. Like, you, There's like a, a webpage with it on it. Um, maybe if our producer Shaw is listening... I can't do two things at once. He could put like a link to the germ in oh, the comments and then you could follow along. I believe, what, what paragraph are you thinking? Chapter one starts in paragraph 16. 16 through 19 today. 16, 17, 18, 19. And this is like basic, basic building blocks of what the mass is because we just, in the past four or five months or whatever, we've been talking about the introduction to the germ. But now... Here's chapter one, and they lay the groundwork for what the Mass is. And it seems so simple, but today it's so important for us to know what the Mass even is. Because, yeah. you know, okay, here's the thing. I grew up in a Protestant tradition, and I can tell you what church services were for us. Like the, the thing that the two most important things for us at a church service on Sunday was the music and the sermon, the homily. Mm. That is what made it. I mean, that's what got us out of bed and into church because we didn't have an obligation to attend. Mm -hmm. um, so we got we got into our cars, got out of our bed, put on our nice clothes, went to church so that we could sing together and we could hear a great sermon, which was usually, gird yourself, get ready, 45 minutes to an hour long. That's how Woo. long our sermons were. So church service was like two hours. So that was it. And we did those two things really well, really, really well. We focused hard on those two things. And 
it's it might come as a surprise where those two things fall <laughs> when we look at what the mass is about and and hey let's be honest we're going to these new public masses with all the guidelines and the homily has been cut short to almost non-existent sometimes actually non-existent so a 45 minute time limit in the and we're not doing congregational singing which i prefer to say singing by the assembly yeah we're not doing that so suddenly those two things, which many of us consider to be the meat, are gone. And we're looking at the Mass going, what's left? Only the essential core of what makes Mass Mass. Yeah, so which, I mean, that's really cool, actually. Like going through these uh, paragraphs right now with the experience that we're having right now as a local church, which is incredible. I mean, the pandemic is worldwide. That's a, It's a pandemic. It's worldwide. But <laughs> in our context here, our diocese in Kansas City in Kansas, like so many dioceses, there are so many guidelines in order to have people at mass that, um, yeah, it's wild to read the general instruction while at the same time experiencing, like you're saying, a shortened mass, uh, very short homily, uh, uh, no assembly singing, as you said. Mm -hmm. It's wild. And um, yeah. But, you know, Curtis, before we jump into that, oh. something struck me from the psalm today at Mass. So, of course, you don't have to be at Mass to read the readings for Mass, right? Anybody can read those. And the psalm today um, was Psalm 149. 149. And the last um, few lines that are said at, proclaimed at Mass go like this. Let the faithful exult in glory. Let them sing for joy upon their couches. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Curtis had a little couch trouble before we begin Mr. Cat today. Oh, <laughs> Are we talking about personal stuff on here? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so everything happens at once, as you know, everybody knows. Everything, when it rains, it falls. And, you know, we got a couch in the Ketty house a couple years ago off the street. It was, it was the neighbor put their dirty, disgusting garbage heap of a couch on the sidewalk across the street. And we had an unfinished basement at the time. And I was like, hey, let's get that couch and just drag it across the street. We don't need to have a car or anything. Put it in the basement and we'll have some place to sit and the kids can tear it to shreds and it'll be fine. Well, that worked. But then we moved to a new house and we put this disgusting eyesore of a couch that it was already in horrible shape. And we put it into our nice finished basement in this new house. And the kids have proceeded in the last almost a year to absolutely destroy it to the point where if they stepped on the cushion, it would just go straight through to the springs. And one of my kids actually cut themselves. Oh, on no. the spring. I'm like, you're going to lose your leg. It's going to oh, get no. gangrenous. So I called um, a removal company to come take it. And of course, they gave me this huge window, but they decided to come like 10 minutes before we're going live. <laughs> and um, kids are running around screaming. And you can see the guys coming in like, whoa, this is an interesting home situation. <laughs> I'm like, welcome to quarantine with the Keddies. That's incredible. Anyway. Let the faithful exulting glory. Let them sing for joy upon their couches. Let the yeah. high praises of God be in their throats. This is the glory of all his faithful. So hopefully you still have some couch that you can sing praises of yeah God. you know I, we don't but sing for joy you can replace that with um shout for glee at the destruction <laughs> of their couches well and, i yeah, love that too with the two edges swords in their hands as they cut it to their couch to shreds and burn it on the front lawn for all to see i love though the idea of, of singing for joy on your couches to the lord because so many people are watching mass at home right now from a couch is their experience <laughs> I don't know. Right. That just tickled me. It tickled I, me. I, I hate to break it to you, but I don't think that the, the term couches means what you think it means. <laughs> I don't either. Um, I don't think they were sitting around in sofas uh, in 1000 BC. Anyway. Well, you know. It was a place of, see, this is a place of rest, of, mm -hmm. of leisure. And even within leisure, yeah, they're shouting for joy. Um, they're, they're, Exulting in victory. So, anyway. you know, that's something about the Mass, too, though, that I love is that it's this big, like, it's the culmination. It's the culmination of uh, authentic leisure and the authentic work, right? Um, like, it, it's, yeah, it's all in all. And I read this great book once um, on worship. It was, it was Protestant work when I was, you know, an undergrad. Mm -hmm. And it was on church music. And the title of the book was A Royal Waste of Time. And really, in the eyes of the world, 
you know, it is, it is a royal waste of time. And yeah, for us, I mean, that's what leisure is. It is us taking our time and offering it, not for our own benefit, but to the service of, of the Lord. And yeah. what, what looks like a waste ends up being the most important thing we'll ever do. Yeah. And life. I love too, because our, our understanding is mass is heaven on earth that we're participating in something that's already going on in heaven. So everybody, when, you know, when we think of heaven, we come up with all of our own analogies. And I hear that all the time from people when someone dies, you know, grandpa's up in heaven playing golf or going fishing or grandma's seeing all of her friends. Now the friends is true, but (laughs) Curtis, I didn't want to trigger you this early, but what's so beautiful is like heaven. No, 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 no. Heaven is this eternal worship of the father, you know, and it's so beautiful to understand heaven properly because that means then like our understanding of leisure here, if it's not forming our hearts to rest in God for that eternal rest, which is worship of the father, then uh, yeah, our leisure needs to improve. Yeah. But let me, let me, let me be the devil's advocate here. Of course. I'm not going to get out of an episode without you being an, I mean, you know, the evil okay. one's advocate. Right, the evil, the evil one's advocate. <laughs> Devil means adversary. So I'm just being the adversary right now. Okay, he has a name. It's not devil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. What you just said about how heaven is just you know worship of God, that sounds boring. Yeah. To most people, like you know, that sounds like okay, we're gonna just sit on our cloud, and strum on our harps, and wow, wait, mass but we don't get to say the mass has ended. Thanks be to God. Like it's just going to go on and on forever and ever. And of course this belies um, a a huge misunderstanding about what worship is about what, you know, um, uh, how our desires are satisfied and so on and so forth. But let's be honest. That's not a huge selling point. If you're going to, if you're going to tell people about heaven and it's just mass forever. (laughs) Oh, listen. Well, maybe if we better understand what the mass is. Okay. Right? There's right. It, that's what you and, call a segue. And also, okay, and we'll talk about that, but also what heaven is. Because yes. even though um, I hate to be constantly talking about meanings of words, but we, our ideas of heaven come from best-selling New York Times best-selling books, greeting cards, and pop culture references. It does, usually does not come from the scripture. And if we looked at the scripture and we actually said, what is it telling me about heaven? And heaven literally means um, sky and also is rooted in the word home. It's this idea of um, being home, being where we belong, reaching our final end, which is rest in God, or the fulfillment of all of our desires. Mm-hmm. And you th- we think, but we want to go play golf. Is there going to be golf in heaven? It's like, well, why do you like playing golf? You know, and and really, why do you like playing golf? Because it just makes you angry. You know, that, that's what it is. For, I just get angry playing golf. But it's because it satisfies, and like a certain extent, your desires, but eventually leaves you unsatisfied like everything does. Mm-hmm. It's golf, along with everything else that is good, is actually leading us home to the thing that we really want. And what we really want is to gaze at the face of God, just like if you've ever had a newborn baby out there in Facebook land and you hold that baby and it opens its eyes for the first time and it locks eyes on your face and it's like it could just stare at you forever because it's in wonder and awe. Well, that's what it's going to be like for us. We're going to to look at God's face. It's, it's an incredible thing. And that's what heaven is. Heaven is union with God. And if you, if you ever say, well, heaven, that sounds good, but I better also be able to see my loved ones. Yeah. Or I better also be able to play volleyball or whatever. You're saying you want Jesus plus something. And that's dangerous. If you just want Jesus, you're going to get the whole thing. All, everything will be added to you. But if you mm-hmm. want Jesus is good as long as this other stuff comes along, then then we have to talk about the misunderstandings there. Like we need to shift our priorities around and mass helps us to do that. Yeah, mass reorders us. Yep. Puts us back. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about we've talked about it. Watch us because um <laughs> they're gonna get used to, you know. 
the uh, visual aids of all of our expressions and gestures, and yeah. you just don't get that on a podcast. Well, now they're going to see all the times I roll my eyes yeah, at myself, at only myself. Oh, yeah, only at you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. The general instruction of the Roman Missal, which describes the Mass in this point, at this point. Paragraph 16. The celebration of Mass as the action of Christ and of the people of God arrayed, arrayed hierarchically is the center of the whole of Christian life for the church, both universal and local, as well as for each of the faithful individually. For in it, it is found. Ah, sorry. For in it is found. <laughs> yeah. Phone just went, went blank. For in it is found the high point of both the action by which God sanctifies the world in Christ and of the worship that the human race offers to the Father, adoring him through Christ, the Son of God, in the Holy Spirit. In it, moreover, during the course of the year, the mysteries of redemption are celebrated so as to be in some way made present. As to the other sacred actions and all the activities of the Christian life, these are bound up with it, flow from it, and are ordered to it. Okay, there's a lot There's a lot just, to unpack. Just a little bit. You know, uh, with most church documents, you know, what happens Mm-hmm. is, you know, in a very short paragraph, they load in so much theological content that, you know, it's almost un, un under, like you yeah. can't understand it the first time. You're like, wait, 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 wait. What did they just say? There's a lot of beautiful words in there, but you have to go so slowly with these documents. So, so slowly. So, for example, just look at the first sentence. The celebration of Mass as the action of Christ and of the people of God. And you just... You just sit and think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. You know, liturgy, the word liturgy means um, the work of or on behalf of the people. Mm-hmm. And here we have the both and definition of what our liturgy is. It's something that God is doing and asking us to participate in. So we yep. get to do it too. So it's the action of both Christ and the people of God, both the head and the body, are actually doing something together. Yeah, and that's the point that it says arrayed hierarchically, right? A higher head, body, yeah. and you are, as a priest, ministerial priests are united to Christ the head, and mm-hmm. we, as the faithful, are the body of Christ, and we share in the mission of Christ. And so that's number one. That's really important. Christ is doing something, and we are joining him and doing it. And then what are we doing? And that's the very next sentence. Yeah, the center of the whole Christian life, both universally and locally. Is the action which God sanctifies the world in Christ and the worship that the human race offers the Father, adoring him through Christ, the Son of God, in the Holy Spirit. So what is that? You can just say that. something he's sanctifying. Yeah. And then we're doing something, we're adoring, and together the work is being done. Yeah. But what does it mean to sanctify the world in Christ? Yeah, yeah. to make holy, to bring it back into order, right? Into into order to Christ. Um, that's mm-hmm. the thing. We don't take seriously enough reality, right? We don't take seriously enough that we have a creator that created out of nothing and that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the reason all of us exist and the reason the whole universe exists is for him. However, sin messed things up. It really did. It messed things up. It got us out of order, um, the disorder of sin. And ever since sin entered reality, God has been trying to bring us back into order. Mm. And he has given us himself to do so, right? And he doesn't just like do this apart from us either. He allows us to participate in our reordering, our sanctification of the world, the reordering of the world back to Christ. Like, it's wild. I mean, this 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 paragraph 16 is awesome because, like you said, in any good church document, it kind of summarizes so much in it. Um, but it's a super important consideration that when we go to Mass, it's not just something I go to watch that God is doing for me, right? It's something I participate in, but it's not just my action either, right? It's not just I need to be there to do something. No, 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 no. What's happening at Mass is bigger than just you. Right. But and it's, it's not even him. about what's happening to you. No. It's it's even bigger than that. And the idea of sanctification, I love that they link it with worship. Because mm-hmm. sanctification, being made holy, is being set apart. 
being set apart, being called out. That's what the meaning of the word church is, called out. And we're being set apart for a purpose. So like imagine like the chalice that you use at mass that is for the precious blood. Yeah. Um, that has been set apart for that purpose. You don't take it back to the rectory. You don't take it back to the rectory and fill it up with Dr. Pepper and, you know, sip it while you're watching watching the big game. You're absolutely right. It'd it'd be horrifying to think about using the vessels for mass for any other purpose. Right. But at the same time, it's horrifying to think of our existence as human persons for any other purpose than to be sanctified, to be united to Christ, right? I mean, it's really incredible. You could say, following that analogy, that the the redemption, what Christ accomplished, is that he comes into the room where you're sitting on your lazy boy chair, sipping the Dr. Pepper, and he takes that chalice, and he purifies it, and sets it apart once again for its purpose that it was made for, and that in the Mass, that happens, but of course, these chalices... We, we have minds of our own, and we want to go back and do these other things. We don't realize that we were designed, made for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this so, analogy, the chalice is all of creation, and Dr. Pepper is sin. Is Am I following? I don't know. Listen, sin and evil are just lesser goods. Yeah, Lesser goods in place of the greatest good. So when you take a lesser good and you make it your greatest good, that is what evil is. Evil yeah. is not a thing. Evil is a privation. It is a yeah, it's it is a choice of, of something mm-hmm. that is not the greatest good. So, yeah. yeah, Dr. Pepper, in this analogy, is anything less than what you were made for, than what is actually your perfect end. Deal. Deal. And, no, the, love it. and Father Andrew in that analogy is, I don't know, I don't know, the, the planet. <laughs> uh-huh. now <laughs> holding the chalice i don't know what you would be oh my god i love it okay um in that same paragraph where it talks about um that sanctifying the world in christ and then the worship of the human race offers to the father adoring him through the christ the son of god in the holy spirit it's always a trinitarian appreciation like you know that when when christ redeemed us he has made us part now of his own family, and that family is the Trinity, right? I mean, I love it. I just love it. And in the Mass, this it. is important. This is important. We pray to the Father. Mm-hmm. Like, the Mass is directed to the Father through the Son, because remember, it's the action mm-hmm. of Christ, and he's speaking to the Father, and we are with him. So we speak to the Father through yep. Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how that tri- we are inserted into the Trinitarian um, life, this sort of this pulsating um, life of love, this like dance, and we actually enter into it in the mass, yeah. which is a foretaste of union with God forever. Yeah, heaven. and that's summarized in one of the prayers of the mass, right? The doxology, through him, with him, in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, almighty Father, forever and ever, right? Um, through who? Through him, through Jesus, with him, in him, we're, we're united to him. And you're elevating. The unity, yeah, of the Holy Spirit. That moment. We're actually, yeah, at that point, the priest is elevating the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, right? I mean, it's just. And that's a yeah. sign. That's a sign yeah. because by the incarnation, Christ becomes one of us and in his humanity raises himself and us up to the Father. Mm-hmm. So in that sign, that simple sign, that I mean, that's like the center of what the mass is all about. I mean, yeah. it's this raising, this this communion of love, this being set apart. You know, yeah. And all that's happening at mass, and at the same time, the liturgical year, as this paragraph points out, goes through all these events of salvation history, of our redemption, of how we got here. And I love that. I love that we're celebrating like an event in salvation history. Like we're about to celebrate um, the Ascension coming up. Right. Mm. But yet we do it with the fulfillment of that event uh, in the mass itself. Right. I mean, it's just, right. it's a wild well, way of explaining it. We're not reenacting these events. No, I mean, we are actually entering into the event. We're entering the, into them. The events are entering present. into us. Yeah. You know, this, this footnotes, this germ footnotes, uh, the document on the liturgy from the second Vatican council. And it's worth reading that primary source here. So I'm just going to quickly do it because I have it in front of me. It says, um, Holy Mother Church is conscious that she must celebrate the saving work of her divine spouse by devoutly recalling it on certain days throughout the course of the year. And going on, within the cycle of the year, moreover, Mm -hmm. 
she unfolds the whole mystery of Christ from the incarnation and birth until the ascension, the day of Pentecost, and the expectation of blessed hope and the coming of the Lord. Recalling thus the mysteries of redemption, the church opens to the faithful the riches of her Lord's powers and merits so that these are in some way made present for all time and the faithful are enabled to lay hold upon them and become filled with saving grace. So the mystery of these events are brought to the present for us in order that we may reach out and touch them and be filled with saving grace. I mean, and every year we get to encounter these incredible mysteries. And, um, okay, I'm going to calm down now. But come on. No, it's good. I'm glad you're more excited about this than you were about your couch. That's all. Um, Awesome. So we do have questions going on in the comments. Wow, we're doing a Mysticat. This is unheard of. This is unheard of. Okay. Right. Okay. When we attend Mass, will all parts, ours and the priests, be spoken instead of sung for the foreseeable future? Hmm. Curtis. What what do you mean by foreseeable future? Because I haven't experienced a foreseeable future for some time. Oh, that you can actually see? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, we've been told by experts that um, singing, even with a mask on, uh, greatly increases droplet dispersion, which I wish I'd never heard that phrase before, mm-hmm. the dispersion of droplets. Um, but in order to be safe, you know, if we can't sing, then we're not going to sing at all. We're not going to sing responses. We're not going to sing songs by the assembly. We are just going to err on the side of extra safety until we've been told it's okay to do so. We don't yeah. want to, yeah, we don't want to even have a, like, and with your spirit chanted response because we want to be consistent. So we at St. John Paul II are striving for at least consistency with the guidelines mm. so that you can't say, well, you said no singing, but why are you chanting this? And it's I know. painful. So really, it's excruciatingly you know, it's not, painful. It's not necessarily that we couldn't sing any parts. The problem is the confusion that it caused. Why are you singing this and not that? And we've done so much work to talk about the priority of what is sung at mass, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're going to work back into it. And really, we're going to take this as an opportunity, you know, um, in the midst of any trial, there's also an opportunity. That's right. Like, um, I just say that's right. <laughs> I agree with myself. <laughs> you've, been so, in your, you've been in the rectory by yourself a long time. Do you have a volleyball with a bloody handprint on it? me and the saints. To? That's St. Okay. Mary of Jesus crucified. Sure. She's awesome. She's my sister. Okay. <laughs> um, no, but we've done so much work. And honestly, we're going to take this trial as an opportunity. And just like any temptation is really an opportunity to glorify God and turn back. Like once a temptation hits, we should be able to unmask it and say, nope, that's not good for me. Let's go back to God. Well, during this trial, we're going to take this and, and you know, turn it into an opportunity to be like really intentional about what we do, um, building back, you know, uh, you know, our full experience of the liturgy. But that doesn't mean that if you go to mass, you know, and there's, it's not sung that it's not the mass. Um, and that's really what these paragraphs are about to get into. Right. And that's super important. What what singing does, what the homily does, is it enhances and encourages and strengthens our participation. But yeah. it's not necessary. Um, and so we, I mean, we have to work even harder in some sense. But and it, it's more difficult. It's not. It's like we're the medicine's still going down, but we don't have the spoon of sugar to help mm. <laughs> anymore. But that's still the same exact same dosage. Of mm-hmm. wonderful sanctifying medicine. So yeah, let's yeah. go on to the next paragraph. The graces are real. Paragraph is 17. It is therefore of the greatest importance that the celebration of the Mass or the Lord's Supper be so ordered that the sacred ministers and the faithful taking part in it according to the state proper to each may draw from it more abundantly those fruits to obtain which Christ the Lord instituted the Eucharistic sacrifice of his body and blood and entrusted it as the memorial of his passion and resurrection to the church, his beloved bride. That was one sentence. Oh, wow. Woo! Where's the object? Where's the subject? Um, so, yeah, they're saying that the celebration of the Mass needs to be ordered in such a way that all the ministers, that's the priests and deacons, the ministers and the faithful, that's us, taking part in it, 
according to our state in life, whether we're ordained or not. But the Mass needs to be ordered so that we may draw from it more abundantly those fruits to obtain, mm -hmm. which Christ the Lord instituted the sacrifice of his body to, to get for us. So um, the Mass, we need to always have in mind, what can we do to order this liturgy in such a way that the fruits can be, you know, can be grasped. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So for the first paragraph is what is the mass? What is the action? Mm -hmm. The second one introduces the next one because it's saying, and everything needs to be ordered in order that these fruits may be accessed. So let's just, let's go to the next one. That's okay. We're going to get well, some meat now. We've oh. got comments. Okay. Oh no. There was a follow-up. There was a follow-up to the singing question. Oh, um, okay. Is, is that something each parish can decide or does the bishop have to approve that change? So liturgically, is there any negative consequence to it? Well, the bishop is the chief liturgist in his diocese. So the archdiocese, the archbishop, has given us instructions, guidelines about the mass, guidelines about singing, guidelines about actually distribution of Holy Communion. Um, so we have to go by those guidelines. Um, now, there is discretion for the pastor uh, in some things, right? Like you can go further than the guideline, like those those are seen as a minimum. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing when it comes to the singing. So, yeah. yeah we were told by the, the in the Archdiocesan guidelines, mm -hmm. we were told no singing by the assembly. Mm -hmm. um, but then they said, but if you want to do chanted responses, that seemed to be okay. But we looked at it and said, well, if we can't do <clears throat> singing by the assembly and singing is dangerous, according to these guidelines, then we're just not going to do any singing um, just to avoid any kind of appearance of like an arbitrary, like, well, we don't want to sing this, but we can sing that. It's like, well, let's just play it safe for the first little while. And then we'll add the dialogues back in. We'll add it according to the priorities that we've talked about yep. on this podcast. <laughs> and by the way, I'm a musician. So this is, this is super painful for me not to be able to hey, listen. have singing. And I've been getting that chant going. Um, and you can't even do a chant anymore. Yeah. Not for, for I mean, for the yeah, foreseeable for, future, whatever that means. Well, I, I mean, all we can see is what's right in front of us. So That's right. we will see. Okay. Um, so paragraph 18. So we talked about paragraph 16. What is the action? Paragraph 17. How do we best bear the fruits from that action, right? Everything has to be properly ordered. And then paragraph 18. This will fittingly come about if with due regard for the nature and other circumstances of each liturgical assembly, the entire celebration is arranged in such a way that it leads to a conscious, active, and full participation of the faithful, namely in body and in mind, a participation fervent with faith, hope, and charity of the sort which is desired by the church and which is required by the very nature of the celebration and to which the Christian people have a right and duty in virtue of their baptism. Another sentence. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they normally just number paragraphs, but when the paragraphs These are sentences. sentences. Um, so we, we said, we, we, this is the action of Christ to sanctify the world. Mm -hmm. um, we need to make sure that our liturgies are therefore ordered in such a way that we can grasp the fruits. And what is that order mm -hmm. ordered to? What does that look like? In 18, it says, we need to have a regard. We need to have a, be putting in an effort According to each liturgical assembly, that's each parish, that's each assembly that's gathered for liturgy, that we need to arrange the whole celebration in such a way that it leads to conscious, active, and full participation of the faithful, both in body and in mind. And yeah. in mind. And, and that's amazing because you could say, like, we're in such a strange time right now where, um, because of the pandemic, access to the liturgy is limited. And so, you know... I've mentioned it many other times on our videos that we do when um, we live stream, you know, either uh, when I was live streaming mass or, you know, during prayers, um, how it's not the same and it should hurt. Like we should have this longing for more, as we've been saying about it, say, John Paul II for a long time. But um, that's because, listen, like it even mentions here in body and in mind, you know, that full active conscious participation and like to actively participate in your body is not at home on the couch standing when you would normally stand if you're watching it online and sitting or kneeling. I mean, that's a little devotional practice, which that can be fruitful maybe in its own way, but it's not a participation in the liturgy as such, right? 
And that is a challenge. I mean, I would, I would say, yeah, that's very clearly in body and in mind, the participation has to happen. Well, that so body implies a physical presence, right? So you saw body, I saw mind. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that should tell you everything you need to know about Father Andrew and I. <laughs> but because because sometimes I feel like we get we get stuck on body and we're like, well, full yeah. active conscious participation means I'm praying the prayers, I'm singing the songs, I'm standing, I'm sitting. Well, and you you work with so many people who are coming into the Catholic faith, right? That are just getting used to our liturgical uh, practices. So you know, everybody talks about you know when do I stand, when do I sit, when do I kneel? I deal with that all the time, of course, at weddings and funerals a lot. And so the body just is kind of what we focus on, what do we do? But you're right, absolutely. It's in the mind. It's an interior action also. It's a first, right. actually, I would say, an interior action. Well, I mean, that has to be there. And this was in the first paragraphs of the germ, this disposition of the mind. What, uh, how are we positioned internally, you know, in our minds? Like, what are we attaching ourselves? To? What, are we, what are we looking at? What is our understanding of what's happening here? And yeah. all of the signs and actions are there to help us position our our mind now this is i mean not not to say anything against emotions but the reason that the liturgy is so focused on the mind and you'll see that in the prayers they're not overly sentimental they're full of like catechesis like they're they're the truth that we can grasp with our minds with our intellects the reason that it's there like that is because it is the most universal if it was if it was attaching if it was about the emotions then you're only going to be speaking to uh, like a segment yeah. of the assembly because maybe half of the assembly feels really sad and are suffering. And then that prayer speaks to them, but not to the other half. Whereas truth speaks to all of us, you know, truth is truth. And yeah. so much of our public liturgy of the church is about the intellect. Like the prayers are very rarely uh, addressing a certain emotion they're usually talking about truth and that can make it feel really dry but i mean full conscious active participation of the body and mind is about a, being reordered to the truth the way the truth and the life so this is this can be difficult but it's, this is the rehab portion of, of yeah and you know normally we don't have to think about like whatever's written down there in terms of what you do with your body um you just do right um but the beginning of this paragraph is with due regard for the nature and other circumstances of each liturgical assembly. So right now, where are all these guidelines coming into play? Well, right here, the nature and other circumstances of each liturgical assembly. So in a pandemic, you know, what you might do with your body, you know, looks a little bit different. And that but leads us to the next paragraph. It does. But before we get there, we have to just mention, you know, the understanding of full and active conscious participation is not, first of all, like, um, I need to be doing something uh, in addition to being present and praying and participating with my mind and body um, the way everybody's called to, right? Because you might think, okay, well, I'm used to reading. I'm used to um, being an usher. I'm used to being in the choir that we're getting going, you know, or an extraordinary minister or something like this. Well, that's not like a fuller participation in the mass when you do something there. It's not. In fact, you actually have to be very careful when you're participating uh, in one of those ministries that you actually are still fully participating in the mass instead of just doing the function, right? Mm. Like the function is important if properly ordered to the overall action of the liturgy, which we've talked about so many times on right. the podcast. It's correct. Yeah. So full act of conscious participation is not in getting the liturgy or making the liturgy happen. Yeah. It is in the action of Christ and what he's doing and sanctifying the world. So we come as priests, uh, like the ordinary priesthood, yeah. lay faithful. We come to offer our sacrifices, to offer our intentions, to join our sufferings and joys and sorrows yeah. to Christ. That's, I mean, that is yeah. what full act of conscious participation is. Well, because when we come back and resume these public masses and you see um, myself or the deacon doing all the readings, right? Proclaiming all of the readings. You might say, whoa, normally a lay person does those. It's like, yes, that, 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 does, that is true. However, because of our current situation and with all prudence in terms of health, we're taking just an extra step. And it's not to limit someone's active participation. It's actually still, I mean, the same opportunity for full and active participation is there, um, even if those ministries 
um, are, are performed in a different way, right? Like that's what I just want to just so touch on because I think this gets in the modern day, it gets so twisted up and we forget what you just mentioned is that you're bringing what no one else can, the sacrifices of your life to be offered to our Lord. No one else gets to offer you, you offer you, right? United to the body. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So I, I'm I'll say something controversial. Oh goodness. I'll say something controversial. And you can't edit it out. You can't. And and I'm saying this as someone, as a musician, as a cantor, you do not need to sing the songs to be consciously, fully, actively participating. Even if there was singing, you wouldn't need to because as great as that is, what you're truly participating in is the action of Christ. Now, those songs can help to bring you to that place and they're very good to do that but yeah. i'm i'm saying they're not necessary well and this is really important because some people go to a parish and they're like oh this feels sleepy this feels sleepy everybody's not singing it's like listen quit judging your neighbor right like they're participating in the mass right now and you're not on to judge what they're doing and yeah it is powerful when we're all singing and when we sing you know together um you know the sanctus or you know the gloria is really powerful in easter of course right however what you just mentioned gives us pause because normally we try to evaluate the situation. We're like, Oh no, no, no. Everybody's not all fired up with this outward expression and they're not blasting, you know, as loud as they can the song. It's like, well, maybe they're also praying though in a way that they need to right now. And they're still actively participating. Like there's an interior thing going on that we don't get to see in our neighbor. We do get to see just the fruit of our lives, the holiness of life. But Thanks be to God, we're not on to having to judge, you know, how how well our neighbor's worship is. In fact, we're commanded not to. Yeah. Now, here's, this is interesting. Someone just commented, um, Father Tom used to say mass is organized chaos, which is actually a profound statement. Because, yeah. I mean, mass is an ordering yeah. of chaos. It's bringing into order what is in disorder. And, you know, I heard somebody say recently, it was really funny. He said, some people think that at the Ascension, as Jesus is leaving, he hands down two documents, the New Testament and the Roman Missal. (laughs) Like, here you go. And that's just not the case. I mean, these things developed over centuries. And the Roman Missal, of course, is very ancient, but the liturgy developed over centuries because it is recognizing Christ's action, which we are entering into and participating in, and then all of the prayers the readings, the songs, and everything are there to aid us into in, to participation. But like um, over time, we've started to look at it as almost like um, like like divine instructions. Like you you do this, or if you don't do this, you're not doing it. And it's like, well, that's not the case. This is the, here as a guide to help us to all enter into in our public work, which is the action of Christ that we're joining with. Anyway, okay, so let's get to the next paragraph because now here it comes. Because we've talked about what the Mass is, sanctifying the world, setting it apart. And so we need to have it properly ordered. And that order needs to be arranged in such a way to help us fully, actively, consciously participate in Christ's action, which leads us to paragraph number 19. Paragraph 19. Even though it is on occasion not possible to have the presence and active participation of the faithful. Wow, that gets me right where it hurts. (laughs) Manifest more clearly the ecclesial nature of the celebration. The celebration of the Eucharist is always endowed with its own efficacy and dignity, since it is the act of Christ and of the church in which the priest fulfills his own principal function and always acts for the sake of the people's salvation. Hence, the priest is recommended to celebrate the Eucharistic sacrifice insofar as he can, even daily. Even alone. So in this paragraph, we say, this is interesting, even though it is on occasion not possible to have the present and active participation of the faithful, and that active participation of the faithful, it says, manifests more clearly the ecclesial nature or that called out nature, the church nature, of the celebration. So when we gather together as, as an assembly, we are ourselves are a sign of what this, this liturgy is all about. 
But even if we can't be gathered together, the celebration of the Eucharist is always endowed or given uh, its own um, effectiveness, efficacy, and dignity because it's the act of Christ. And of the church. And of the church, and all, of the church. church triumphant church as well. Yeah. The, the entire church, right? And this is what we have to remember. Because like right now as a pastor, it's like, whoa, it feels like I've got two parishes, you know, to, to pastor too. Those who are able <laughs> to gather and those who are not able to gather. And that's wrong. It's still one parish. And I'm really worried actually because I'm starting to see it, right? And I know it's good intentions. I know everybody's excited to resume mass. Um, but, you know, I see it on social media. Um, people like posting you know, how excited they are to go back to mass. Awesome. But I'm worried it's going to become like this thing of, I don't know, like what social media just turns into, right? Like just kind of a, I don't know, a setting apart of myself um, in some special way, apart from the, the, the assembly, right? Like, well, not just the assembly, the body of Christ. And I don't know, like, I, I'm very sensitive to this right now, because I know even in our live streaming on the mass, it's caused like, some consternation, right? Like when, when all this got going, I didn't know how to be a priest in a pandemic. No one does. Our parish doesn't know what to do in a pandemic. We're all just trying to learn. We've had incredible generosity of people reaching out to their neighbor, making calls, being generous with the food kitchen still, um, trying to do whatever we can, right? And it's been awesome. We're all learning. But you know, one thing I'm like, I'm like, okay, let's, let's just start live streaming mass. Why not? And in the chapel, um, don't have to worry about anybody else being there. No sound issues. Um, got the Wi-Fi figured out, got the camera set up. Don't, it's very controlled. It's awesome. I didn't realize though the attachment that we have to watching mass for some people, but I also didn't realize how averse some people are to watching mass when they can't be there. And that's where we have to be careful. We need the truth. We can't just apply our preferences to others and say, okay, I like watching mass, therefore everybody should like watching mass, or I don't like watching mass, therefore no one should like watching mass. Because I think the challenge we're going to get into is the, the real cost of all this in terms of our love of our Lord in the Eucharist and the liturgy, right? Um, and so I'm very sensitive to that, but that's why this paragraph, oh gosh, it's like a healing balm. So there's my soul, right? I always picture, where do you picture your soul, by the way? Like you are, I know. Oh, I better, you're about to be like, Father, that's okay. Cool. I'll tell you. my. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, my soul is a form of the body. Yes. Okay. So I look at my body. I see my soul. There you go. Okay. But you know. <laughs> there we want to go into philosophical territory. No, no, we're good. Okay. But no, you're right. You're right. You're right. But you got to see it from the, the, the perspective of a lady, Father. Yes. Okay. Please. I mean, you, yeah. have, you have the ability to celebrate Mass every day. We were not ready to suddenly have that taken from us. Yeah. We were not ready for it. And it was like it was like a loss of a loved one. It was yes. like we, suddenly we weren't able to see the people totally. that we love. And and mass, you know, whether we understood it properly or not, that was our entrance. That was our connection to the heavenly glory. That was when earth and heaven met, and we got to be present for it. And then suddenly, now we're in our in our houses, stuck for weeks, and all we get to do is watch a video of you getting to touch heaven. Yeah. So you can see how, you know there would be like a sense of longing and maybe resentment and oh, maybe oh. I'll take, I'll Absolutely. take what I can get. I'll watch my loved one on a surveillance video. That's better than nothing. But I mean, what I looked at live streaming masses as was just proof that the action continued, that the prayers continued. I didn't get to participate in the same way. However, there was, was there was liturgy that I was able to participate in like the liturgy of the hours. Mm -hmm. You know, I could actually participate in that at home. But it's been very heartbreaking. No, and, and, then, I'm, not trying, and I'm, I'm not trying to discount the the hurt that's being done right now um, because of the the suffering of the world because of this pandemic. I'm trying to press into it, right? Because I think um, like there's there's unfortunately a lot of temptation um, to try to judge, you know, pastors, but not just me, you know, um, bishops, uh, parish, you know, staff, just who are trying to do their best. And to say, you know, it has to be done this certain way. And the reason I'm I'm sensitive to it right now is because I see the divisions that are happening, right? I see the divisions that are happening and the truth will set us free. Mm -hmm. That when the mass is celebrated, it's an action of the of Christ and his body, even if not everybody can be there. And this is really important because 
some people are experiencing this for the first time. There are people who have experienced this for a long time, right? Um, and I, I mentioned this um, recently. Um, I visit somebody who's in jail, who hasn't been to mass, you know, for a couple of years now, being in jail, and now is looking at many, many years ahead in prison. Um, you look at those folks who are homebound and um, uh, rely on the goodness of their parish and their neighbor to keep them, you know, connected in prayer and to bring Holy Communion to them. Um, but they're not able to go to mass. You know, you look at people who have been separated from the uh, Eucharist for years um, because they're in remote locations of the world, right? And there's a lack of missionaries. So yes, our experience right now in our parish is definitely different, but I think it's so important to remember that those who have always um, been experiencing prolonged periods of separation from being able to go to mass, um, now we're understanding they're suffering a little bit. And uh, I think there's a benefit to that. I think, though, of course, we want to be able to offer Mass um, well. But here's, these, are, these are the competing things, right? We want people to be able to go to Mass, but we also don't want to put them in um, a position um, that's harmful, you know, in any way, right, to their body. But we also want to be sensitive to the dignity of the Mass, um, and we want to follow the guidelines that are presented in obedience. So there's just a lot to be sorted out here. And I get yeah. that everybody, when the mass, that's why I love being Catholic too, right? We love our tradition, hopefully. <laughs> right? There's some self-loathing that gets out there with Catholics too, of our tradition, unfortunately. But we're so good. And, and it's so funny. We, we, we do, we latch onto tradition, which is awesome. And so when that's interrupted, the, the expectations that are formed based on a love of tradition, like I expect to be able to go to mass when I want to go to mass, when that's interrupted, any time then you're presented with, okay, well, here's the new way that we're going to have to approach it. That just is a reminder, like the grief comes back of my expectations have been lost and now I'm feeling that hurt again. And so that's why I just wanted to get after it today a little bit and push into it uh, without sure. warning you. <laughs> well, you know, it's an opportunity to rediscover the mass. It is. Because, it you is. know, um, like, yeah, like I, I got to, you know, when, like, for example, we talked about this before. You don't have to receive the Eucharist when you go to Mass to yeah. participate in the Mass. Yeah. And and this, uh, again, I mean, this is uh, this is shocking. It's like, wait, um, but don't I, don't, aren't I obligated to receive the Eucharist every Sunday? It's like, no, you're obligated to attend Mass every Sunday. You're only obligated to receive the Eucharist once a year. Yeah. But yeah. I mean... Not right now, you're not obligated to. Right, this, right, 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 right. But I mean... Of course, you should receive the Eucharist every day. I mean, that's an incredible gift. But I mean, yeah. this is not this is not what fully conscious participation in the liturgy is, though. Yeah, and this is a really important point too. That separation from Holy Communion, right? Oh my goodness gracious! Oh my goodness gracious! Um, uh, there can be such a benefit from being separated from our Lord and Holy Communion. That might sound weird, if. We allow our Lord's um, grace to really bring us back to uh, him and a deeper devotion to him, affect that disposition where we're more open to him, we long for him greater. But especially to where we re-look re at and don't take for granted the one we love, Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, right? And the problem is so often we take him for granted. We don't refrain from Holy Communion when we should. So therefore, when we can't receive Holy Communion, it seems like like it's just totally unjust. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you've ever had to refrain from Holy Communion because you didn't keep the fast before Holy Communion, which right now is an hour, right? Or if you've been in a state of mortal sin and you haven't been able to go to confession and you should refrain from Holy Communion. Or if you're living in an objectively sinful state, like being married outside of the Catholic Church, but living as husband and wife still without getting that rectified, right? Then you might not understand, right? If we've not abstain from Holy Communion when we're supposed to, right? We might start seeing Holy Communion as anything but what it is, a gift, a gift. And it's a gift that we don't get to totally control, right? The circumstances of the world, we don't have control over. And, uh, you know, the person who's sitting right now in a part of the world where they don't know when the priest is going to show up because they're one of 30 satellite locations of one parish where the priest has to travel to each location over the course of a year, you know, doesn't know when the priest is going to show up. They get it. They get how much of a gift Holy Communion is. 
right now in the United States where we're at, we're not um, in that same situation. You know, we still have priests that can celebrate mass at many different times across uh, town, um, all over the place. And we get kind of spoiled by our access, but this can be a moment of huge grace of renewal. You know, what's helped me is like the Eucharist is profoundly intimate. It's a, it's a personal, it's a personal communion with a, with a, with a person. Yeah. It's, it's like union. It, it is not, it is not going too far to compare it to the marital embrace between husband and wife where they become one flesh. I mean, this is why you have like the, it's almost like um, the, the covering over the altar in some churches, it's supposed to look like, like bedposts mm -hmm. over the altar. Cause it's like where the marriage is consummated is on the altar. Mm -hmm. So when you look at it that way, you can see why you can't just demand it. Yeah. I mean, as, as a, as someone in, in a marriage myself, you know, and you can see why mortal sin would just would receiving it in the state of mortal sin would be a heaping condemnation upon your head. You know, like there, there needs to be that living relationship and there needs to be that patience and the, the fact that there's two people, not just you. And anyway, we could go into it, but the Eucharist is a profound gift of a person, not just of a, of a thing or a heavenly medicine, or it's an actual person who is giving himself to you yeah. and giving himself and to the whole world. It's his action. And, you know, I know there's so much hurt right now um, and there's so much longing and all of that gets mixed up and I get it, but we just need to keep bringing that before the Lord and realizing, uh, you know, the desire for him uh, is a good thing and he can reorder us. And I love um, what this paragraph talks about um, in terms of the action of Christ and the church. Um, but it also talks about, you know, priests should celebrate mass daily. And it's not always possible to have an assembly there. And I've experienced that too, just being in the little chapel and not have anybody there. And it's really weird and it's different. I've had to go to parts of the general instruction that I never thought I'd need to go to. Um, you know, we've been I mean, there with you. We were watching over your shoulder. <laughs> we saw you. I know. <laughs> Through the camera booth. Um, so <laughs> it's Catholic been wild. stalkers. But you yeah. know, here's what's crazy. So think about this. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, has been uh, having his daily masses live streamed during this time. But today was the last one on this 100th anniversary of the birth of St. John Paul II. He celebrated mass at the altar over the tomb of St. John Paul II, um, ad orientum, facing the same way that I do in the daily mass chapel, um, yes. which is awesome. And he, he, he did so as this final time for his daily masses being live streamed. After today, he's not live streaming his mass. And uh, because masses are resuming in public, and I think there's a pastoral move there that I don't want to read into why the Holy Father is doing it. For me as a pastor, why we're not doing it, there's a lot of practical concerns, but there also is this temptation right now of thinking that what I can view just through the internet is the same of what happens uh, when I'm in person, right? And I get there's a careful balance, right? Like you said, you're missing out on the loved one and you, you would be satisfied with just seeing a picture of them because that's all the internet is, right? It's just fast moving. Okay, I'm not gonna get into the technical side stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but this isn't, this isn't the same as being in person at all. And we all are realizing that too, right? The social distancing, this being apart from one another has really hurt. And that's a good thing because we were made uh, to be together and we were made to be in community, um, but it hurts. But I know we, we got more questions. We got some questions. Oh my goodness. So I guess we're gonna start with, uh, with Frank's question. Um, he says, has the obligation for Eucharist during Easter been dispensed of? He's speaking, what are the precepts of the church? Yes. Precepts of the church are found in paragraph 2041 of the catechism. Yeah. So there are five precepts of the church. Um, one of them is typically referred to as the Easter duty, receiving Holy Communion during the Easter season. But Curtis, do you have those by any chance? I do, I, I pulled it up. Um, I really wish you wouldn't say Easter duty. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. listen, I don't... I've definitely fulfilled that obligation. All right, let's see. Oh my goodness gracious. So this is the first um uh where which one is, oh it's the third precept. Yeah. You shall receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. That's that one time a year, at least during the Easter season, guarantees as a minimum the reception of the Lord's body and blood in connection with the Paschal feasts, the origin and center of Christian liturgy. Um now there is uh 
we we just looked at this recently. There was something about the just. Where is it about the just reason here? Um, no. Oh, that's right. Because it quoted the code of canon law. Yeah. I need to pull up the code of canon law. Okay, pull up the code of canon law. That's right. Which Saint John Paul II signed in 1983. Okay, so it, it quotes it footnotes in the Catechism the Code of Canon Law, Canon 920. So if you go to Canon 920, here's the the language of the Church law. Now, careful, uh, we're playing we're playing lawyer here. It gets dangerous, right? And it's not Latin, so it's not official. It has to be Latin. But here's an English translation. Yeah. After being initiated into the Most Holy Eucharist, each of the faithful is obliged to receive Holy Communion at least once a year. This precept must be fulfilled during the Easter season unless it is fulfilled for a just cause at another time during the year. So here we have a very just cause Mm -hmm. on which um, whenever you receive the Eucharist during this liturgical year, that could have fulfilled your Easter responsibility. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, you know, a just cause, like you have to receive it once a year. That's normally done during the Easter season, which we're in right now. However, we haven't had public masses during all of the Easter season. There's also a pandemic going on. There's also just reasons why someone can't get to mass. And there's a dispensation from mass. So, I mean, if ever it was a time to look at the uh, the code and be sure about the law, that uh, how it applies, now is the time, right? That there's this just reason that that um, receiving Holy Communion once a year could be done outside of the Easter season. And that's a wonderful question. Um, in fact, I'm actually going to follow up with um, with somebody about that. Uh, don't necessarily promise to answer that on Mr. Kappa. I know who asked it, so I'll try to get back that, to it. I mean, that being said, isn't it possible for someone to to ask to receive communion outside of Mass? Oh, sure. It's possible. It's possible. However, you know, when it comes to um, you know something as serious as one of the precepts of the church, you just want to be sure. So I totally appreciate the question. I'm going to follow up um, uh, on that too. So it's awesome. Now the precepts of the church, by the way, great read, uh, paragraph 2041 of the Catechism. This is the definition of what it means to be practicing Catholic. Yeah. So, so yeah. something we throw around practicing Catholic, like are you a practicing Catholic? Well, if you want to know what that means, that means following practicing these five precepts of the church in 2041 of the catechism paragraph 2041 of the catechism of the catholic church that's right yeah actually that's that's a really important side note yeah. because we talk about being a practicing catholic all the time it's like oh well i go to mass great that's, that's one <laughs> you know, it's, it's something that i like at usually during the fourth stage of the rca which is the easter season this year it's a little postponed but yeah um, i gather them together and i read them the five precepts of the church and say now you're catholic now, if you want to know what it means to be practicing, this is the bare minimum, according to the church, and it's very easy, but the bare minimum of what it means to be a practicing Catholic. And it's pretty good. It's really, really important. Five things. Yes, yes. A lot of good sharing going on. Okay. Um, Curtis? We've been talking an hour. That is crazy. That's, that's too long for a podcast episode. It's a little too long. No one I appreciate, wants to uh, everybody <laughs> dropping by though live and anyone who's going to come across this later. And uh, yeah, we just really appreciate you. Sorry, no geeky talk today. Not we could much. do some geeky talk. I just need somebody <laughs> to give me a, give me some bait. Here's the problem. Um, it's, it's lunchtime though in the rectory. Oh, that's why I'm feeling so grumpy suddenly. Mm-hmm. It's lunchtime everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's a universal call to active and full participation in the lunch. Um, oh my goodness rituals but i just uh yeah i want to i want to close with a prayer but this has been uh what's your podcast called mr cat (laughs) oh kim has a very important comment here and Uh she says that rca classes should be required for all maybe maybe a sixth precept perhaps Quit making up rules. I don't one, like when people make up rules. One must enroll in RCIA classes. Actually, I don't like to call them classes, Kim, as you well no, know. No. We will call them sessions, although that makes it sound like therapy circles. But um, Well, there is some truth to the, what Kim mentioned, that all should go through RCA in the, in the sense that the adult catechumen, I mean, the catechumen, the whole process, which, gosh, don't get you started. I mean, oh, wait a second, because I'll yeah. say something. Here's a, here's a truth bomb for you. Oh, gosh. Every Catholic 
by coming to Mass all through the liturgical year, they are going through the RCIA process. Mm. Um, but what Kim is talking about is the idea that we can sit together yeah. and discuss and and ask questions and wrestle yeah. with the, with wrestle with the truth. And we don't often have a chance to wrestle with truth. All I was going to say is from the catechetical documents, since we're mystical catechesis, that it they talk about um, the uh, catechumenate as the model for all adult faith formation. Catechesis. Study is good. Study is good. Yeah, it's the model of all faith formation. Yeah. And that's because it's how Jesus formed his disciples and how he's forming us. We've talked, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The whole mass is the RCA process. The liturgical year is the RCA process. The Christian life is ritualized in the RCA process. It is incredible. And if you are out there and you've never experienced the RCA process and you're like, but I'm Catholic, I can't do the RCA process. Well, you can as a sponsor. So just, you know, let me know. We do it year round. Here's my free ad. We do it year round. You can enter anytime. You can enter next week. Um, via Zoom, <laughs> so the RCA process. Oh, oh it's so oh. horrifying. <laughs> oh, so rough, so rough. And somebody so... loves your joy and enthusiasm. Oh, I know who that is, Kathy. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I guess I need to work on mine. <laughs> yeah, Curtis. Sorry, sorry. Um, but you said, like you said, you're hungry, you're grumpy. It happens. Yeah, um, and I care about the mind, and you're all about the body. That's right. <laughs> This has been Mr. Cat, your, your, your podcast about mystical catamachesis. Thanks for watching and listening, and uh, please uh, share and like or love. Please no anger emojis. Try to keep those to a minimum. We don't like the anger emojis. God bless you all. Here, let me, let me say just a little prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bye. Amen.